Last night when we left off, God had given clear steps for living as a believer in a world of non-believers. And really that's the context and that's where we ended last night. He had given very clear steps for them to follow, for us to follow as believers living in a world of non-believers. He told us to be deliberate, to be resolved, to be unlike the world that we live in. The Bible says with Jesus as our example that we are to be holy as he is holy. Now remember the meaning of the word holy, it literally translates unlikeness or unsameness. Uh, It is to be set apart. And so very clearly, very plainly, just like Jesus was different, we as his followers would be different from the world that we live in. Now, all of that goes to this, evidently and plainly, how we live as believers matters. Now, I want you to hear that tonight. How we live as believers, what we do, how we live as believers truly matters. Now, I want you to think about that. The question is, why? Why? Why does it matter? If God is who he is and God has done what he has done, why does it matter what I do? What does it matter what you do? Now, I was thinking about that. I could give you a list of reasons. Why does it matter how we live? Why does it matter what we do? I could produce for you a list of reasons. It could be for the reputation of the gospel. It could be for the validity of the gospel. It could be as a witness to the power of the gospel. There are many possible reasons, but I want to tell you there is one reason that rises above them all. There's many reasons that we could have, but there's one reason that rises above them all, and that is how you live as a believer either honors God or how you live as a believer dishonors God. And we, considering the cost of our salvation, we should seek and we should desire to honor the gracious God who saved us. Let me say that again. We as believers, considering our salvation, we should seek and we should desire to honor the gracious God who saved us. And so let me ask you tonight, it is night seven of our revival. We're seeking a personal revival. We're seeking that God would stir us up. So let me ask you on night seven tonight, does your life honor God? Does your life honor God? Here's the truth tonight. How you live, how we live matters. Now tonight we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Tonight verses 17 through 21. Moving along, 1 Peter chapter 1. Tonight verses 17 through 21. Our message tonight is entitled, Honor Your Father. Honor Your Father. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning tonight in verse 17, God's Word says this. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, 
from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and again, we, we praise you at this time. We worship you at this time. We're thankful that we have hope tonight. We're thankful that we have a Savior tonight. Uh, the remedy for our sin, the forgiveness of sin, the righteousness of Christ imparted to us. Lord, we celebrate that. We praise you for that. Lord, I pray tonight on this on this Friday night as we begin to study your word, I pray that it would be marvelous. I pray that it would be tremendous. I pray, Lord, that you would speak. And how would it be any less than those things if you were speaking? Lord, let us hear your voice. And I pray for a supernatural impact. Lord, I, I pray that we would be built tonight and that we would be encouraged tonight, that we would be strengthened tonight, that we would be corrected tonight. And I pray that all of it would be for your glory. I pray if there's one listening tonight, maybe in this room, maybe in some other way tonight, that does not know you, that doesn't have peace, hasn't found peace in you, I pray, Lord, that any hindrance of that would be removed. And tonight, this very night, would be the night of their salvation. Lord, we come and we just tell you, we praise you, we thank you, we exalt you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today there is a movement, you may have heard of it, it's called the Hyper Grace Movement. Now there's actually several different versions of it, there's several different versions of it being preached. Uh, it's really nothing new, the Apostle Paul actually already dealt with it. Now this Hyper Grace Movement, it follows the idea that God is gracious and God's graciousness supersedes all things. And so calls to holy living, like we just heard last night, calls to obedient living, calls to biblical fidelity, do not really matter because God forgives and God understands and God is gracious. And in his graciousness, it releases us from concerns about how we live. And that is being preached. That is very attractive. Churches are growing, preachers are becoming popular, and understandably, people love that message. Basically, do what you want to do, live how you want to live, as long as you're saved, the rest is a non-issue. And that is grabbing hold, that is, that is taking root. Uh, grace covers everything, live how you want to live, as long as you've trusted Jesus for eternity, it does not matter. Now let me just say this tonight. For most of us, we easily see the problem with that. We easily see that grace is not a license to sin. Paul tells us that. We've been instructed that. We understand grace is not a freedom, a license to sin. And yet many people not saying those words, not saying that, live sadly in the same way. Be very sure tonight, and I'll just, I'll just tell you, and I need to warn you of this, be very sure when we live like the world as believers, 
when we look like the world as believers, and when we are unconcerned with sin, that's exactly what we're saying. God will forgive that. I've put my trust in him. It doesn't matter how I live. And if we're not concerned about sin, if we're melding into the world, that's exactly what we're saying. Well, here's my question tonight. What is the remedy for that? If we're tempted to live like the world, if we're tempted to look like the world, if our hearts become numb towards sin, what is the remedy for that? What would change our minds about that? More than that, what would change our hearts about that? Now, I, I've thought about that. What, what would it take? What would it take? Well, really, there's only one thing. And here's what I believe. I believe that one thing. It's not more rules. It's not the, the proclamation, be, be better, do better. This one thing would be seeing our Savior Jesus and the price he pays for our redemption. And I, I believe if we could see that, friends, if we could really see Jesus, if we could see the cost at which we're redeemed, if we could see the, the sacrifice of the cross of Calvary, I believe it would impact our hearts to honor God. And that's, that's what I believe. And I believe that's what we're going to see in our verses tonight. So we start back in our verses tonight in verse 17. Verse 17 says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now listen to those words again. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, verse 17 is a loaded up verse. There's a lot to see in this verse. It starts off with our relationship to God. Now, I think that's an important place to start. I think that's the, the foundation, but it, it starts off with us understanding our relationship with God. Now, what I mean by that is this How do we relate to God? How do we see him? How do we hold him? What is our relationship? How do we relate to God? Is he cold? Is he aloof? Is he distant? Is he far removed from us? Is he mad at us? Is he, is he angry? Is he demanding? Is he a strict supervisor? Is he like some general that has a bunch of orders that he lords over us? How do we relate to God? Well, I want you to see this. It's marvelous. It's pretty awesome. As believers, listen to this, God shows us, God tells us, we relate to him as a father. Now, that's awesome. That's tremendous. You know, he could have, he could have done anything he wants to do. He is God, but he tells us how he relates to us, and therefore how we relate to him is as a father. Verse 17 says, if you address as father... Jesus in the gospel in Matthew says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, which is in heaven. And so as believer, God relates to us and we relate to him as a father. Now that's tremendous. That is deep. That is profound. That is really too much. I want you to think about that relationship for just a moment. 
Now, in a perfect world, now let me say this. Sometimes our views of a father are skewed because we have earthly fathers, less than perfect fathers. Some of us have had terrible fathers, and so your view would be skewed. Well, I want you to see this. In a perfect world, however, a father would supremely love his children. That's what a perfect father would do. He would love his children. Because of that, he would sacrifice for his children. Nothing would be too much. He would sacrifice for his children. He would protect and provide for his children in a perfect world. He would make sure everything's taken care of, that there's no danger that's going to come near. He would protect and he would provide for his children. He would teach his children. You're growing up. There's something to be prepared for. He would teach his children. A, a, a perfect father would discipline and correct his children. You know what? That's not going to work. There's a better way. He would discipline his children. He would have authority over his children. Now, that's the example. That's what it's saying here. How do we relate like that? Because of that relationship, that father is to be honored by the children. Bible actually tells us that command, to honor our fathers. Well, in the wording tonight, God is laying out here the call to honor him. Why would we live in a way that honors God? Listen to me. It is because he is our perfect father. Why would we live to honor him? It is because he is our perfect father. Next it says this, if you call his father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. Let me say that again. If you call his father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. Now this is not something we talk about a lot, something we don't hear a lot about, but be sure of this. God is watching us and God cares how we live. And the Bible says we will give an account to God. He judges us based upon how we live. Now, I want you to be sure of this. It's not for salvation. We're not saved of any work. We're saved by faith in Jesus. It's not part of our salvation. But as saved people, God is watching us, and we will give an account of how we live. Now, there are several places we could go for this. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning of verse 10. Just listen. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, Precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's will become evident. We're going to see how you built. We're going to see what you built with. It is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which is built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. It's not part of salvation Yet so as through fire. We will give an account before God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. 
That's a huge deal. That, that is a big deal. We go through life and think, you know what, I, I thought it didn't matter how I lived. I didn't think really anybody was watching. It doesn't seem like anybody is watching. Listen, before God, to God, you will, I will give an account. Next it says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now let me tell you right off the bat, on earth uh, is not part of the original manuscript. It's added in this translation, uh, the New American Standard Version, but it's not in the original manuscript. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay is the most literal understanding. And let me tell you the context of that. This is written to those sojourning, traveling outside of Palestine. Remember how the letter started? To those who are dispersed, who are traveling outside of Palestine. These are folks living in the pagan land. So it says this, while you're traveling there, while you are there, conduct yourselves in fear. Conduct yourself. It's talking about how you live, your conduct. That's the means of your living, how you live. In your time, in this land, conduct yourselves in fear. Fear, in the original language, means deep reverence, respect, listen to this, sense of awe, a sense of awe. God's all-powerful. God's all-knowing. God is creator. A sense of awe. What that means is you do what you do and you live how you live considering God thinking about God, respecting God. You do what you do. You live how you live in the awe of God. Again, this is talking about the honor of God. How you are living is in awe of him and therefore is in honor of him, or how you are living is not in awe of him. And so therefore it does not honor him. Let me tell you the issue right here. The issue right here is this. As people, and it starts all the way back at the beginning, as people, we like to take God and we like to recreate him in our image. We like to make him small. We like to make him less significant than he is. We don't like to think about the creator God. We don't like to think about the righteous judge. We don't want to think about the the all-powerful holy God. Here's what we want. We want a little buddy God. I got my little buddy. I don't think I'm going to wreck my car. I got my little buddy. Good things are coming my way. got my little buddy. You know what? he, He may not like where I'm going, but you know what? He's just my little buddy. You see, we might be hard-pressed to offend the God of hell and heaven, but it's not so hard to offend our little buddy. I want you to get this and understand what this is saying. We do not go through life as fearful, tortured, scorned, scared children. That's not the picture. He is a perfect father. But we do live as followers of Jesus Christ in awe of our great God. 
We do make our decisions. We do make our movements. We do conduct ourselves in the awe and the reverence for God. We want to honor our good Father. Simple as that. We want to honor our good Father. Going on, I want you to see this picture. As we start to continue on, listen, watch, think about this picture. Verse 18. Knowing, listen to this, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. To redeem means to purchase a release by the paying of a ransom. That's, that's the definition. The purchase of a release by the paying of a ransom. We are caught in a penalty of sin and we are bought out of that penalty. We are redeemed out of that penalty. It says from the futile way of life. Futile is a word that means vain, useless, without profit or purpose. We are purchased out of the one condition the condemned position uh, with the penalty of sin over us in which we are living a useless life, an empty life, a purposeless life. Any life lived outside of the will of God for the honor of God is a empty life. I don't care how successful it lives. It is a vain, empty, purposeless life. Then it reminds us here, we were not redeemed. Okay, you're redeemed. But we were not redeemed with silver or gold or wealth. That's not how our ransom was paid. The Gospels say, for what is a man's soul worth? For what is a man's soul worth, an eternal soul? What is, what is that worth? What is a redeemed soul it was dead, it was dying, it was gone, it was condemned. What is a redeemed, renewed soul worth? How much is it worth? Listen to me. What is your soul worth? What is your soul worth saved, forgiven, dressed in the righteousness of Jesus? What is your soul worth? What would you pay for your soul? Wasn't paid in gold, wasn't paid in silver, verse 19, listen very carefully. But with precious blood, the word precious means highest value, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. But with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now I want you to see this in verse 19. Why? Does it matter how we live? Why should our burning desire of our heart be to honor God? It is because he didn't just redeem us with gold. It's because he didn't just redeem us with silver. Our redemption was paid in the blood of Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? Our redemption, your redemption was paid in the literal blood of Jesus. The life of Jesus was given that you might be saved. The life of Je Jesus was given that I might be saved. The blood of Jesus, the precious blood was poured out to save sinners. It says as of, uh, as of a lamb, 
unblemished and spotless. This is the Lamb of God, perfect Jesus, who's able to go in our stead to buy you back, to buy your life, to buy your freedom, and to buy your pardon. Jesus is actually whipped. He is actually beaten. He is actually mocked. There are thorns actually pushed into his head. He is actually nailed to the cross. He is actually displayed there, and he is killed. It is not symbolic. It is not superstition. That is what happened. You were purchased in the blood of Jesus. So how would we not live in honor of him? What excuse could we offer? What selfish sin do we cherish more? Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Our redemption was paid with the life and the blood of Jesus. Verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. I want to look at verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Jesus, here's what it's saying, eternal God, Savior before the world was ever formed, he is the Savior God before the world was ever formed, has appeared, has come as a man, has come as our lamb for the sake of you. I went and looked up that word sake. And it has a very simple definition. Because. For the sake of you, because of you. Now, can we consider that for a moment tonight? Jesus was born as a man. Jesus lived as a man. Jesus died his terrible death as a man. The creator of the earth is placed in the earth that he created. Because, here's what the word of God says, of you. How much are you loved? How much are you valued? How much was God willing to give? Says he did this because of you. Verse 21. Who through him, youth, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, let me read that again. Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Through Jesus, listen to me, here's what it's saying. His death, his burial, his glorification through resurrection, through Jesus we know God. Through Jesus we are reconciled to God. The God that loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son, that God is in fellowship with us and we with him only through the person and the work of Jesus. Here's what the verse is saying. All is right in and through because of Jesus. Peter writes, what we are studying 
that we would be stirred up by way of reminder. That's where we started that first night. By reminder of the word of God, the truth of the gospel, he writes that we would be stirred up. I thought about that, and I considered that, and here's what I thought. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? How are we so careless? How are we so reckless? How are we so heartless? What's wrong with us? And I'm going to close by telling you the answer. The answer is in our verses tonight. Now, I want you to stay with me. Listen as we walk this out. What's wrong with us? here's Here's the problem. The problem is this. We somehow get too far from the cross of Calvary. And that's our problem. You want to know what our problem is? How are we so careless? How are we so flippant? How can we become so apathetic? It's because we get too far from the cross of Calvary. Oh, be sure tonight we love the cross. We need the cross. We draw close to the cross in the days of our salvation. It looms large on the horizon in those days. But then somehow it seems we start to travel in the cares of life further away from the cross. We start to travel in the busyness of life somehow further away from the cross. And it becomes distant behind us. And it becomes increasingly smaller on the horizon as we look back over our shoulder. And we walk forward in the distractions of the day further from the cross. We move forward in the enticements of the world and we get further from the cross of Calvary until one day as we've moved and as we've walked, his sacrifice is now so, now so far out of sight that that sacrifice becomes easy to us. We've become so far from the cross that the ugliness of the cross now so far behind us becomes smooth for us to stomach. We become so far from the cross that it's cost a lamb, our lamb Jesus, sacrificed on the cross of Calvary, his own precious blood poured out. That cost is so far behind us, it becomes petty to us. 101 years ago, these words were written. We sung this about a month ago. Listen to these words, 101 years old. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget the thorns in thy crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. Show me the tomb where thou wast laid, Tenderly mourned and wept. Angels in robes of light arrayed guarded thee whilst I slept. Let let me like Mary through the gloom come with a gift to thee. Show me now the empty tomb. Lead me to Calvary. Listen to this. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for thee, even thy cup of grief to share. For thou hast borne all for me. Our call to be stirred up by way of reminder tonight is a reminder of the cross of Calvary. We are saved not in silver or gold, not in a price that was checked out of a bank. We are saved in the precious blood of Jesus. 
the perfect lamb of God. Let's pray. And Father, we come and we praise you today. We thank you tonight. I pray, Lord, as we've heard this, that this reminder is taking hold of us. This reminder is taking root in us. And I pray, Lord, that we would remember we are saved. Yes, praise the Lord. But we're saved in a terrible cost of our Savior, Jesus. His own blood, his own life given him for the redemption of me, the redemption of mankind, the redemption of sinners. Lord, may we not forget that. Lord, may we not become cold and apathetic to that. And I pray, Lord, as we go through the days of our life, the hours that we walk through, I pray in how we treat people. I pray, Lord, in how we respond to others, how we speak, how we live, the things we do, the places we go, and the gospel we share would all be tempered by the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray for somebody here that doesn't know you. I pray for some that have no hope, no peace, and they're looking for it in all different directions. I pray that in the preaching of the resurrected Savior, Jesus, that they would turn to you and they would find hope and peace in you. Lord, I pray that tonight any hindrance to that would be removed. And I pray that tonight would be the night of salvation for many folks as they turn to you in faith. Lord, we come and just end this time by telling you we do praise you. The Lamb from the cross, we worship you. We thank you. We exalt you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time to respond to the truth of God's Word. And there's a couple things you can do. First off, if you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you to understand the gospel, to hear the gospel tonight. The truth is this, God loves you. And He loves you so much He sent His only begotten Son. And He took your sin, lived a perfect life that He could do. It took your sin, carried it to the cross of Calvary, paid for it there. It is finished, paid for in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says if we will trust him as our Savior, we'll be saved. If we will turn to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry, I did it, I'm responsible for it, and I turn to you, trusting you as the only hope I have as a sinner, trusting you for my salvation, the forgiveness of my sin, he'll save you tonight. He'll save you tonight. Some of our responses tonight would be just to turn to Christ and say, Lord, I turn to you as my Savior. I trust you as my Savior tonight. Maybe you're here and you've made a decision for Christ, but you've never fought a believer's baptism. You come as well, not as part of your salvation, but as a testimony to it. You come as well. It'll be a great day of celebration, pointing to what we believe of Christ. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it, and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll serve for his glory. Maybe, maybe right now you're going through tough stuff. Maybe things nobody even knows about. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to pray there where you're seated. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. God is gracious. I'm going to ask that no one stir about, no one would head for an exit, but you pray for those who are making decisions. God has spoken to you as we come to this time of invitation. You step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.